Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Andy Bowman, and with me are my co-host, Tessa Suela. Hello. And Sam Morris. Hello. Joining us this week is Kobe Waddell of the Martha and Colby Never Grow Up and the Never Made Bar City podcasts. How's it going? This week, Colby has a beast of a show to talk about. Sam sweeps the leg. Tessa will not be eating what is clearly supernatural food. And I delve into a fascist uprising that is not of our own reality. Okay. How, how's it going, guys? How, how's everyone today? Tired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when this episode airs, tomorrow will be election day. So that's fun. Uh, everyone, if you haven't voted for some reason, go out and vote, yada, yada, yada. I'm sure Facebook and every other social media reminds you, please do it for me. We voted today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they vote. Sam votes early and votes often. Um, <laughs> stood in line for two hours, South Carolina. And they got to do yeah, it all again voted, tomorrow. We, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to be clear, we did not vote multiple times, no matter who tells us to. I mean, I guess I don't live in North Carolina anymore, so I was not instructed to do that. But hey, 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 you know, hey, hey. Well, I mean, he they said that. Yeah, that's what that is. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in two weeks, we're going to be doing our next theme episode, which is heists. In addition to our individual heist-related monkeys, we'll be discussing the classic 1948 Humphrey Bogart film, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, I don't know why I said it like it was a Spooktober, but it, it, I, it, I almost it, did it the Spooktober sound. Like I almost went ooh, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, it's not Spooktober I, anymore." I kind of miss it. It it has the feeling of like a Hardy Boys adventure or something already. I'm, I'm excited. So get ready by watching this film, or you know, if you've seen it before, rewatching it, and send us your thoughts and questions about it, so we can actually have a better discussion that just doesn't involve the three of us just yammering about and boring we will do that though but as always when we have a guest we do ask our guests real quick uh colby do you make lists are you a list maker are you someone who loves order or are you a horrible chaos demon uh chaos is a ladder I have zero list I just watch whatever it I'll be scrolling and I'll see huh I haven't seen that. I've been meaning to watch that. And that's what I watch. Team no list. Team no list. I, I think you guys could be, if we're list makers, you guys should be chaos makers. I am totally fine with that. <laughs> so so are you just like, a, like do you just scroll? Is, is that your main method? Uh, do you take recommendations from friends? I know we've had people who are on team no list who are big into the recommendations. Uh, how do you hear about new media? Or is it just always like, I'm subscribed to these services, I will watch what's on here? It's partly I'm subscribed to these services, I'll watch what on what's on there. But also, as much as I love talking about movies and television shows, I have seen a dreadfully small amount <laughs> of television and movies. Um, so it's mostly my friends screaming at me to watch a certain show, and then I finally give in and watch. Most recently, that is Scrubs, which is not what I'm talking about today. But Now, quick question, Colby. Yes. What you are talking about today, is were people screaming at you to watch it? No, I was screaming at myself to watch it. Okay. okay. 
yeah awesome different situation i i have i have gained permission and i was reminded by my wife about this story so i just have a question uh for us list makers out there you know the people who love order have you ever been embarrassed by a list that you've made like a public list? Like I'm, I'm confused about where the embarrassment comes from. Oh, oh, okay, okay, fair, fair, fair enough, fair enough. This is really just an excuse to tell this story, which probably reveals a lot more of my uh, neuroses than I should. But Sam, uh, about you, have you ever been like embarrassed? You know, do you have like a top ten Confederate generals list? <laughs> I, w- I was gonna say, like, do you have a? a is there a mixtape out there that you're embarrassed about? Oh, what? I mean, the answer to that is yes. What's a mixtape? <laughs> Sam has taken off his headphones and is leaving <laughs> is leaving the room right now. Mixtapes are this mythical thing that people used to give other people when they wanted to sleep with them. Do I do I have that right, Sam? Yes. <laughs> Mixtapes are just physical playlists. Oh, so like when you had those old those old eight tracks, so that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Eight, eight track or, or eight? Did you use eight tracks? Is that before are, your time? Are we still talking about mixtapes? I really did take my earphones out. Um, <laughs> what, what now? What was the question? <laughs> I'm sorry. Are, I'm sorry. To are there embarrassing? <laughs> I told you I love chaos. <laughs> <laughs> are there embarrassing mixtapes? Oh, I mean. Yeah, uh, you know the the sad truth about mixtapes. If you if you make them for their generally intended reason, they're always going to be embarrassing at some point. So, Colby, do you, are you a playlist maker? Not really. I mean, I have a couple playlists that I've made for like certain events um, because of the way that my life was set up in the past. But I mainly just have one big playlist that also has a sub playlist that is entirely dedicated to musicals. I like that. I like that commitment. What's your what's your go-to musical? Go-to musical? Oh, it depends on the mood. Like if I'm in like a good mood, it's newsies. If I'm feeling moody, it's more like Les Mis. Just wow. I, I can't imagine not having playlists. Yeah, no, it's just um okay, so I was an RA in college and our residence hall had speakers set up around the lobby. And they would let us play music while we were working the desk. So I had my desk playlist and I had the best playlist of all 27 RAs that worked in that building. And whenever I stopped working there, it just kind of turned into my general playlist. So the reason why I'm doing this and the reason why I I, want to talk about this is I once made a, a list, and this just shows you my compulsion to make lists. When my life is in chaos, I, I, I have to organize it some way. And when I moved to Arkansas, and I had just left a, a, a long-term relationship, I, I immediately jumped to Tinder and OkCupid and all those other dating services, and I had so many dates lined up. That I, I I had to like actually plan them out. I had I I literally had to plan them out. And after a a, a few a few uh, weeks, I was trying to get my thoughts in order about like who who I actually enjoyed spending time with and who I didn't. And, and Sa- Sam's laughing because he knows where this is going. I do not know where this is going, but I really hope it involves Mambo Number Five. It, it, it does. It, it does not. It, it 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 does not. 
<laughs> well, is it a good story? Is it, it really? Uh, so anyway, I, uh, I I had to go to class or something, and my wife was uh, not my my then wife, my my then girl. I was seeing was alone in my apartment, and she had to go do something, so she had to get some paper, like leave me a note, and she found a list that's marked. It was titled, uh, and and people can can confirm with her. Desire to date. <laughs> number one, number two, like 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 I had like my entire pros cons thing lined out, and she found that. Uh, well, where was she on the she, list? She was number one, thankfully. <laughs> okay, thank oh, well, yeah. <laughs> All's well that ends well. It's fine. <laughs> Is this this is either a charming situation or like a really not charming situation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she she really has never let me live it down though. Just, just how? how, how you heard I, it here first. Andy has binders of women. Oh, oh God, no, no. <laughs> Th- thankfully, it, it it wasn't just women, so I, I I'm safe there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> That uh, that I like. How, I like how it wasn't the binders part that you objected to. <laughs> it's order, okay? It's like, no, it's a list. It's a list. Right, right, right. but somehow also wrong. You you make a pros and cons list. You think about things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I was I was reminded about this incident, and uh, when I was talking with my uh with my wonderful wife Sarah about list making, and she was like, "You should probably tell that story to show how neurotic you are about organizing things." Well, and she gets to be number one on the list. Yes, immortalized forever. Does does she listen to this? Does she listen to the podcast? I think I'm on her podcast feed, but uh, no, I don't think she does. All right. Well, I I just want to say if if you're listening, I'm so happy that you were number one on the list, so that we didn't have to do an episode of. Andy's misconceived preconceptions <laughs> about you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, there, there we go. That's that. I hope that's the last time that'll ever be brought up, and no one else will make fun of me for it ever again. Um, Colby, I need to make a list of appropriate times to make fun of him for this list. Now, yeah, Colby. Uh, so let's get on to this week's discussion. Colby, what what did you watch this week? I watched season three of Kipo and the Wonder Beasts. What is Kipo and the Wonder Beasts? Kipo and the Wonder Beasts is a t- TV show um, anim- or aimed for children, which is my jam, is my entire jam, that uh, revolves around this girl named Kipo who has been separated from her family, uh, who lives in a bunker to keep them safe from the wildly mutated beasts of the future and her trying to find her way back to her burrow. And also, as she comes along, um, sharing the um, wonders of friendship with those on the surface world. Okay. Uh, now, uh, of course, you, based on one of your podcasts, which for whatever reason wasn't in my notes, which is the, uh, the Four Nations Report, a uh, Avatar rewatch podcast, uh, uh, we only we only plug two podcasts oh. per guest. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, that's fair. That's totally fair. Well, I'll make sure just to cut it out, you know, and and the people will be like, "What? What? What podcast?" Um, Colby, is this something that's kind of like Avatar, or is this more of like a 
a SpongeBob SquarePants situation. No, it's closer to the um the Avatar Voltron Shiras of the world. For sure. It's very serialized. I, there are a couple like bottle episodes, but it's very much a, a story-driven show. In this time of, you know, gestures broadly, it, it's nice to just have a show that's about uh people trying to find the good in the world. And that's that's kind of why I why I really like it. So what was your reaction to watching it? It sounds like it's kind of more of an optimistic type of show. It's super optimistic um, until season three where um, it gets uh, really intense. My my first reaction to this show is one, the music is amazing. It's not the type of scoring you normally hear in children's television. What's really cool is that all the new species of the world kind of have their own sort of their own genre of music. Like the snakes are all metalheads, and the bees like dubstep. <laughs> um, Kipo has her guitar that she she plays, and that's how she bonds with some of the um, the wonder beasts, which are the gigantic animals that have mutated. Um, so that was the thing that drew me in. Is there backstory to the Wonder Beasts? Is this like a future version of Earth or is it more of a fantasy, sci-fi, you know, different reality type of setup? Yeah, they have um they have a backstory. Um of course, it I don't think this is a spoiler because you know, apocalypse that caught that caused um mutated animals. It it was the humans. The humans started it. Um spoiler for real life. Spoiler for real life. Um, <laughs> get the burrows ready. Uh, yeah, it's um, it really dives deep into the lore of this world and and why you should care for the the non humans. I, I, it is over with, right? This the yes series is done. Season three was the last season. There are thirty episodes. They're twenty three minute episodes. It's a super easy watch if you want to knock it out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And and you would say like that that's actually that actually gives you like a good um like a good through line, right? It's an actual story. Yeah, it's a full story. Um, there's character development. There are there's a good villains to friends arc. There's um. There is the big bad that gets replaced by a bigger bad. It's all the all the good stuff that you want in in that sort of show. So, so these wonder beasts are they like you said they're mutated? Are they like animals or are they just like combinations of animals? Like I'm very curious. Yeah. So the wonder beasts are they are just mutated versions of regular animals. Like one of the um one of the gigantic beasts are just huge corgis that, <gasps> that are, Andy's face right now they're like 50 100 feet tall corgis that are just that try not to trample people um there is a super smart gorilla that plays classical music very well um like i said there are the the bees with their dubstep there are humming birds that are bombers with nectar <laughs> that drop Drop bombs on the world is a it's a really fun world to be in. It's a very colorful show to watch. It's easy to watch because of the content, but also it's it's a good looking show. It's a really creative show. Okay, now uh, uh, one thing when when I watch and I watch a lot of uh, children's TV or TV that is supposedly for children, but then you watch and you're like, oh god, this is dark. Would you say that that it is dark? You you mentioned it was kind of intense. It 
def it there's a balance and the balance um i mean if you want to call it quote unquote balance it's not 50 50 it's definitely leans on on the sunshine a lot more than, than the dark moments but when it does get to the dark moments it doesn't shy away from it mm-hmm. which is something that i really appreciate from children's television shows it's like yeah so can i curse on this show uh i'll bleep it out but yeah, please do there's a stuff that happens in, in this show and and they acknowledge it and they, they work through it which is which i like that i like that a lot yeah yeah i i've got you know maybe for a pop culturist we should all get together and make a uh gr- a good uh cartoons to watch for adults and children because I, I i have a huge list you know steven universe the adventure times the ducktales everything uh there's so much good stuff for for kids and adults right now. Well, let me just say that uh, I don't love Netflix as a streaming service, but the one thing that they're really doing well is animation. Yeah. Like, Kipo is super good. Shira was good. The Hollow, which nobody dude, talks about, dude. is a really good show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, like, uh, the second season just popped up, and I was like, <gasps> finally! Yeah, it's good. The second season is as good as the first. Yeah, uh, it's not as good as the first, but this is this is not this is not a children's show at, at all. So if you have children, do not let them watch this show. But mm. Castlevania on Netflix has also interesting. Really been That's another it one too. that I've been scrolling past. Like maybe one day. Yeah, and y- y- you know what? Go ahead and let your kids watch it. Yeah, it's hey, it's hey, super kids, dark, kids. but it's very good. Just just tell tell your parents that a podcaster stranger on the internet <laughs> said it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 child is listening to this podcast? i don't know but hey you never know you never know we could <laughs> the kind the kind that makes lists that's adorable <laughs> <laughs> i'm imagining like that precocious child like the matilda child who's like just making like lists of things to watch when they grow up i love it <laughs> So uh, o- overall, uh, based on, on what you've said, uh, I'm probably going to start watching it like this week. But would you recommend it to people? Absolutely. I would recommend it to people, um, especially if you're again, I feel like music lovers, animation lovers. If you like both of those things, literally the it's like a 15 second theme song for this show makes me dance every single time. I love it. Please watch Keepo in the Age of the Wonder Beast. Uh, and, uh, Colby, have you given, uh, The Last Kids on Earth a try? The Last Kids on Earth? I don't think I have. It is a Netflix animated show about kids in the apocalypse. You know, another Netflix animated show about kids in the apocalypse based on a book series. But I had uh, a storyboard artist from that on the Geek 101 podcast, uh, about a year ago. It looks fun. It looks very very bright i appreciate that. yeah it is fun and it's it's also dark but it has like keith david mark hamill bruce campbell Ooh. rosario dawson it's it's got a great cast mark mark hamill is like in every animated show all like, of them every single all of one them. <laughs> yeah uh you can't be a legitimate uh animated show without mark hamill tessa what did you watch so there are some movies or books or whatever whatever we're talking about uh, that you do feel like there's a lot of pop culture shame behind not saying. And I know we're not like we're a judgment free zone, but just like hanging with me. Uh, I watched spirited away this week, 
which is not only the first time that I've ever seen it, but it's also the first Miyazaki movie that I've ever seen, um, which I feel very ashamed about. Uh, I grew up really conservative, and I didn't know what Miyazaki, who Miyazaki was until my 20s. Um, so it's been on my watch list for a while, um, but I just never kind of got the the impetus to watch it until this week because I posted a link to my Letterboxd account on Twitter. And this is actually was a request from Melissa who really wanted me to watch it. So Melissa, if you're listening, this is for you. I, uh, so, so I ended up watching Spirited Away this week. Um, I'm, have you guys all seen this? I feel like everyone has seen it, but me. I have seen it, but if it makes you feel any better, I just watched it, like, earlier this year, maybe last year. Like, for the first time? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, I'm not alone. I've I've, I've seen it. <laughs> Is that all? You're like, I've seen it. It was fine. Uh, uh, I, I, I have a hot take on Studio Ghibli films uh, that I would prefer not to get into on this podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, yeah, I watched Spirited Away, which came out in 2001. Um, it won the Academy Award for Animated Feature that year, um, and it is by uh, Miyazaki. It's by Miyazaki. And I watched a su- the subtitled version, if anyone is asking about that, not because I wanted to make a statement about the whole sub versus dub debate, but because I generally like watching most non-English films with subtitles if I can, which is not always possible. But if you're the kind of person that prefers sub... I'm not going to look down on you, or Dub, I'm not going to look down on you for that. Um, It's just how I watch this particular um, film this time. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. So I guess here's the short short version of sort of the premise of Spirited Away. So it's about 10-year-old Shihiro and her parents who are in the process of moving to their new home in a small town in Japan when they come across a old, seemingly abandoned amusement park. That's actually what the subtitle said, but it didn't look like any amusement park I've ever seen. So I feel like that's like a cultural thing. Um, it looks, it's sort of more of like a village. I was imagining like roller coasters, but that's not what it was. Um, they explore that place um, despite Shihiro being very afraid and they find a restaurant full of food, which the parents immediately start gobbling down. And I'm just going to say this right now. Like, Anyone who knows anything about fairy tales or, like, magic food or whatever, you know you're not supposed to eat the food. Like, it's, like, rule number one. Do not eat the food. <laughs> like, supernatural food, it, it will either turn you into something or you'll get trapped there. Like, learn from the lessons of uh, Hades and Persephone. Learn from Pan's Labyrinth. Like, why are you doing this? Well, um, I learned this lesson from Spirit Away, Tessa. Yeah, okay, so maybe Spirited Away is, like, the text you need to watch to know this. But anyway, they start gobbling down this food, and uh, Shihiro doesn't eat it because she's afraid, and she continues to explore this uh, this place, and she finds this bathhouse and a boy named Haku who tells her that she needs to leave this place before sunset. But alas, it is too late, the sun goes down, she finds that her parents have been turned into pigs, as they should have known, and she is stuck in this town, which is revealed to be part of the spirit world. So in order to save her parents and leave the spirit world, she has to navigate this strange and unfamiliar environment and outwit the sorceress who rules the bathhouse. So that's like a general premise, but I've just given you like the first 10 minutes of the film. Like this is a two hour film. A lot happens, but that's, it's mostly her sort of figuring out how to go through the spirit world and how to leave it. Okay. Uh now what what like how did you react to this film because 
I I have I have I have my opinions and I think it's a one it's a beautiful beautiful film. I just think that uh I'm just going to say I think Miyazaki is more interested in doing pretty animations than in telling stories and that's fine. That is 100% fine. It's just they can get a little boring. See, I like completely disagree with you. I loved this film. Yeah, well, uh, why do you hate joy, Andy? <laughs> well, Spirited Away is also like one of the exceptions to this rule. And that's, I think, why it did so well. And, and, that's, and that's completely fair. I haven't seen the rest of his, uh, the, his films, like I said. So maybe, maybe I would feel that way if I, if I saw the rest of them. But I really liked this film. Uh, I'm going to say some things at the risk of being Eurocentric. I'm not as familiar with um, Japanese animated history i guess uh, i've seen a lot of it but i'm not it's definitely not something that i've studied or i'm familiar with so i'm going to compare this to some american or western things this movie had a real labyrinth vibe to it which is one of my all-time favorite movies labyrinth um and so i it was really really cool to see a movie that still that had kind of that same vibe it also had a real alice in wonderland vibe to it you know this young girl who's you know in this place that's very different and it's just very fairy tale like, but not a vis- Disney fairy tale. It's more like the fairy tales where everything is dangerous, and you're in this place where there are rules, but you don't know what they are. Uh, some of the inhabitants look human, but a lot of them don't. Um, Yubaba, the sorceress, runs the bathhouse for the spirits, but she also has a lot of other stuff going on, and. They never tell us what that other stuff is. You just sort of see her doing it in the background. And I love it. I just, I have talked on this show before about how I think Americans, uh, American filmmakers often have way too much exposition in their films. Like, I, I would rather you not explain stuff and just have it be in the film and be weird and, and beautiful and wonderful. And this, this film does that. There's a lot of restraint here, which I really, really appreciate. You know, but there's just a lot of that that fairy tale type of uh, type of stuff. You know, she has to you know work at the bathhouse in order to stay or in order to not be turned into an animal. Yubaba takes the second kanji of her name away, which makes her name Sen, which is part of the Japanese title of the film. Um, it's it's just really beautiful and interesting, and I love just just how strange it is, but how willing it is to commit to the strangeness. Right. Now, uh, I will say. If you're familiar with uh, with Japanese uh, folklore and mythology, like like I am, uh, because I'm that kind of nerd, people, <laughs> it th- a lot of this does make sense, and that and that's one of the cool parts of it is it introduces you to a mythology you really don't know anything about if you're not already steeped in it. Fun facts about me: I went to a weird elementary school, uh, but I was taught Japanese from kindergarten to fourth grade. And we had a, our Japanese teacher showed us a lot of Miyazaki films. Never saw Spirited Away for some reason, but we did watch um, My Neighbor Totoro, um, Howl's Moving Castle, um, Big Bird Goes to Japan. Um, he, that's not Miyazaki, but it is a great movie. <laughs> but <laughs> something about the, the vibe, to, to use a youth's term, the, the vibe of, of those movies is, even though it leans hard into the fantasy, and I I love that it does that, it feels more somehow more real than the than like Disney Renaissance. Yeah, it's very slice of lifey. 
Yeah, I mean, like, technically, this is, like, a two-day period, but, like, so much happens during those two days. And I, I think the animation's beautiful, like you all mentioned. Um, I mean, and that still holds up. I don't know if all animation always holds up the way that we think that it might, but this this definitely does. The characters are really inventive and beautiful. And uh, now I'm curious, because you both, and I know Sam Sam has talked about living in Japan for a year as well. I, I don't know, maybe this would be more recognizable to a Japanese audience. Like there, there was a at one point a character is chased by a bunch of paper uh, shikigami, which I guess I had to look this up, but it's a small like they're small ghosts that are controlled by a conjurer. Um, but I had to look that up, so I don't know how much of my unfamiliarity is cultural or intentional on the part of Miyazaki. What do you What do you all think? Like, was this a more recognizable mythology? It's to cultural. You all? I, I'm I play a lot of Japanese games and stuff, and they're everywhere shikigamis and. Also, a lot of the puns, like 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 like, like Japanese writing and movies love to do puns, and you you kind of mentioned it with the the Sen thing, with her with her uh, one of her kanji getting taken away and it changing her name completely, and so it's hard to translate the humor as well straight into English. Yeah, that that's true. One of my uh, favorite things, I I I definitely hate watching things. Uh, from Japanese that are dubbed because I need the subtitles. I want to know, okay, I know what you said, and that's not what you said. You know, just being able to pick up some of the nuances and the differences is a fun game for me. There's a really fun story here. Uh, when we first started dating, I was watching my way through uh, Inuyasha, and I was doing it with like I actually had it on dubbed at the time because that was the only version I had available. And Sam Sam was not watching it with me, but he was. You were like somewhere else in the apartment, and you were like, "He's saying like." The, what in, in English, he's saying heck a lot or like hell or I don't even remember what it was he was saying. And he's like, that is not what he was saying. What he was saying is way worse than that. And it was it, it's just it's really interesting to me to watch uh, watch movies like this where I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. But knowing that it's part of a culture that, you know, that this maybe makes sense in, in that context. But I I love uh, Shihiro. Uh, like you were saying, Andy, about it being a slice of life, I feel like this character is so real. Like, she's a real 10-year-old. Um, she's really awkward and clumsy, which I always, I love aux- awkward and clumsy people in films because I am also awkward and clumsy. Uh, I She's very stubborn in a lot of ways, but she's also very kind. And the plot focuses on her moving through this unfamiliar and often strange landscape instead of on romance, um, which was a big part of why Miyazaki wanted to make this film. Although there's a little romance, too. Um, I hesitate to call this a coming of age story because it's not really about that but there is sort of this metaphorical space of fantasy where she's not quite a child but she's not quite an adult she's moving through this like liminal space do do you want the term yes do you want it yes please. you want it okay so so we're gonna go from japanese to german here for a second coming of age is a buildings roman a what you just described is an entwicklungsroman it's like a between, so it's not coming of age, but it's like between ages. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And Twicklung's Roman. <laughs> uh, so there's also some critiques of modern consumerism and disregard for climate, but they're done in a really natural and effortless way that makes sense as part of the story. And again, like I might not be picking up on some of the parts of the critique because of my unfamiliarity with Japanese culture, especially in 2001. But even I was able to be like, oh yeah, like this is a this is about the climate, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and 
it has the best compliment I can give a film where it's two hours long, but it doesn't feel like it's two hours long. Anyway, overall great experience. One of the things I that this movie does really well is harder to do in a movie than television show is that it feels like this world and these characters existed before the movie started and will continue to exist after the movie ends. And to accomplish that in anything shorter than like five to ten hours is really, really difficult, but I totally buy it. That's something like a lot of like your labyrinths or whatever, like your fantastical journey movies have the problem with because it just feels like, oh, this world just came to be when this character stepped in. All right. So so moving from the world of animation into into live action, Sam really wants me to ask the question, why haven't I watched The Karate Kid yet? What's the matter with me? But I feel like that question's a little judgmental, but I'll bite. What's the matter with me, Sam? Well, we're 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 jumping from cultural appreciation to cultural appropriation question mark. Um, although I took karate classes in the eighties as a child, here's where I say we are generally a spoiler-free podcast. But in order to talk about Cobra Kai, I do need to just completely spoil the Karate Kid. If you have not seen the Karate Kid, and this will bother you, push pause or scroll through. Watch the Karate Kid and come back. Because again, what's the matter with you, Tessa? Colby? <laughs> Judgment-free zone! <laughs> Colby, are, are, you, are you cool with, with spoilers here? Uh, I mean, he, oh, I, I won't. I get. I was about to spoil the movie just from cultural knowledge, but <laughs> if you still haven't well, gotten out well, of here. Well, yeah, yeah. If, if, if you know, then you know. It's cool. So, and the thing about it is, is that Cobra Kai completely recaps the entire movie. I, I will just say, I, you know, I'm talking about Cobra Kai, the 2018 series from the remarkable streaming service YouTube Red. Rip. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But The Karate Kid is its source material. Uh, the original Karate Kid movie is from 1984. There are sequels in 86 and 89. And that is all. No other Karate Kid movies were made. Um, <laughs> I hate so- it here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Jackie Chan was not in a movie. Uh, I, 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 you know, that's not even the, I, I'm talking about two movies. There's a Hillary Swank next Karate Kid movie. So, so, it, okay. So basically here's the plot of Karate Kid as fast as I can give it to you. Danny LaRusso moves from Newark to Reseda with his mom. And while he's there, he meets handyman, Mr. Miyagi. He also, in a very meet cute at a beach party at night meets a girl named Allie and they have their little meet cute which is interrupted by her boyfriend Johnny who starts to bully Danny Johnny is a karate student at Cobra Kai uh, which is run by sensei John Kreese and Cobra Kai's motto is strike first strike hard no mercy Johnny begins to incessantly bully Danny it is a clear, clear narrative of good versus evil. Very ham-fisted. Pun, maybe intended? Mr. Miyagi teaches Danny karate. They end up, Johnny and Danny, meeting at the All-Valley Karate Under-18 tournament, where, of course, Danny wins by doing a crane kick. Hooray! And he gets the girl. So, that's the Karate Kid. Why have you not seen this movie? Didn't he also like clean up that dude's house for a while? Isn't that like a major part of the movie? 
Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the whole thing is where Cobra Kai is all about aggression. Uh, Miyagi Miyagi Sensei is all about kata, which is which is flow and movement and discipline, and, and you know the idea of martial art being about defense and balance, not about you know, right? And he teaches it up. to him via having him do all his chores. Yes, I appreciate how the Cobra Kai places like peak football guy i really appreciate that it is it is <laughs> i was just gonna say like i mean what's the point of being a sensei if you can't get your students to do your chores for you i mean what's even the point then there literally is no point <laughs> <laughs> all right so so cobra kai what's the deal with it then i mean it sounds like the narrative was pretty wrapped up or at least wrapped up for those other movies you talked about. Right. So Karate Kid 2 is Danny and Mr. Miyagi go to Japan. Karate Kid 3 is like gaslighting. It's weird, but it works. And that's really the end. Um, Like I said, the next two movies don't exist. Somebody thought it would be a good idea to take this narrative into the future and find out what Danny LaRusso and... And, and Johnny would be doing in the future. So 34 years later. So 34 years later in the future, Johnny Lawrence, played by the inimitable William Zabka, is a loser with an ex-wife and an estranged child. He's stuck in the 80s. His life sucks. And one day he sees a kid named Miguel who's new to his apartment complex being bullied by the cool kids. That's right. We're going to do an entire inversion plot. That's what Cobra Kai is. He sees the kid getting bullied, and he restarts Cobra Kai to give this kid confidence so he can face his bullies. Meanwhile, Danny LaRusso has become the rich kid who has it all. He's a luxury car dealer who hands out bonsai trees as gimmicks with his car purchases. He has a wife and two children. And, you know, he he's not cool. And so the whole idea of Cobra Kai, as I said, is to invert the storyline and say, okay, what if the, the villain now becomes the hero? And the hero is kind of not the hero anymore, but also still the hero? I don't know. Wasn't this a joke on How I Met Your Mother? I love the idea that somebody watched How I Met Your Mother. And and there's a long-running joke on How I Met Your Mother. Barney Stinson believes that the hero of the Karate Kid is Johnny Lawrence, a kid who worked hard, put in the work, did the effort, and was robbed of what he had earned by this, by this upstart Danny LaRusso who bullied him and took away his girlfriend. And somebody thought... We should make that a show in 2018. And they did. It's like an extended joke, too. Like, William Zabka and Ralph uh, Macchio are in How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. As themselves. Is is High School Musical just Karate Kid? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) With music. I I think High School Musical is just Karate Kid. I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that Karate Kid is some kind of urtext upon which all of our cultural understanding is based, because it's not the first story of its kind. But it is really influential. I mean, there is, there is something to that. 
So, uh, so how do you feel about this show? Is this show a good idea, bad idea? This show should have absolutely been a bad idea. This show is a terrible idea on paper. Whoever pitched this, I don't understand why they thought this was going to work. Whoever decided to put it into production, I don't understand why they thought it would work. It ended up on YouTube Red for its first two seasons. So somebody wasn't entirely convinced. Now, of course, YouTube Red is gone, um, and Netflix has acquired the first two seasons of Cobra Kai. The third season is dropping in January, and it has already been renewed for a fourth season, although we know that means nothing anymore. Um, This show is so good. I love it so much. It is what I needed. I I feel nothing but joy. I, I have not loved a piece of pop culture this much. In a while. To f- what makes it so lovable? I mean, I was a kid in the 80s, and I saw Karate Kid. Like, I, I genuinely love that movie in the way that I'm supposed to love it. I recognize the faults in it, um, which are many. But, you know, and, and they took the narrative, and they extended it. And we all know when you take a beloved property and you extend the narrative, you are destroying everything. Except in this case. They've actually are doing something really interesting. William Zabka makes Johnny Lawrence an interesting character. I have seen the movie. He is an evil, evil, evil teenage boy. We're, we know that because he's a toe-headed, Andy mute me, he's a toe-headed jackass who just bullies and he would be an abuser to his girlfriend, probably already is, just a terrible person. But by the time I finished the first season of this show... I I like him. He's he's a much better character than than Danny LaRusso. And if time travel is ever invented, my my twelve year old self will just slap me in the face for saying that. So a couple things. So just to make sure I have this right, he gets beat up at the end of um at the end of the Karate Kid, and then now he's a better person in Cobra Kai. That is correct. Yeah, so so his big arc is that you know Danny Larusso beats him in the in the tournament, and there's a little bit more to the story, and you see it in Cobra Kai as well. His sensei, Johnny's sensei, starts abusing him, and Mr. Miyagi has to step in. We are talking complete and utter humiliation, and the original movie tells us that Johnny deserves it because he's a bad person. But then the show the show complicates that? Yes, then? the show doesn't retcon it. It happens. But it answers the question, what if we saw the Karate Kid from Danny's perspective and it wasn't just the way he thought it? Maybe there was more to this story. It's a story about the 80s and toxic masculinity and how boys are uh, raised and taught to act which may or may not have anything to do with what they really think and how they feel. And that's what Cobra Kai is really about. Saying that, that, that we, we teach our children to act in certain ways, and then they do it because it's what we taught them. And you know what? Maybe the baby boomers are responsible for everything and it's all their fault. <laughs> I want to take my earlier metaphor and take it even further. If High School Musical is <laughs> it's a karate kid in high school musical the musical the series is cobra kai 
Welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> oh, hey, man, it's great. it's fine. We're we're all in this together. It's it's okay. <laughs> that's that's all I got. That's the only thing I have for that. So recommendation. Uh, Would you recommend this for people who have seen Karate Kid or people who haven't or both? Once again, you get the entire, all the beats from the Karate Kid, the first movie, are interspersed throughout the first season of the show. So it is not required. You will get the lore. (laughs) The Karate Kid has lore. (laughs) Man. Um, The future is weird. So you don't need to see it. But you absolutely should, because it's just, I can't get over how interesting what they're doing is. And it's not high art, guys, it really isn't. But but it's really clever, the idea that they had, and it should have failed. Nine out of ten times it would fail, and this is the, this is the one time that this kind of idea succeeds. And it's really nice to see what that looks like, and I'm glad they didn't ruin The Karate Kid. So, yeah, watch it. Go watch The Karate Kid first, though. But you don't have to. Andy, what is Richard III? Well, you see, Sam, Richard III is a character. Uh, we prefer to call him Dick III, Dick Trace. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, anyway, it's a 1990 movie with Warren Beatty, uh, Dick Tracy. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> oh so so uh, apparently richard the third is some kind of famous i, I guess i I've, I've never never heard of of king richard the third uh but he's like a famous character done by some guy named uh shaka Spara. I was going to say, I couldn't tell if you were being sarcastic or not there. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, R- Richard III is kind of what I would think of as being one of the penultimate, uh, or er, sorry, we're, we're using that word er, and I just understood what it means now. Uh, er is like the first of its kind. The- wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what did you think it meant? Uh, wait, 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 wait. Are we doing this? Is it happening? No, no, no. I I, I, I just never bothered to look it up. and. Uh, few months wait, ago. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. But but you thought it, you had to think it was something, right? Uh No, no, actually I didn't. I always oh. thought it was ERR, so I'm sorry. Wait, that's it. That's it. This has been an episode of Andy's misconceived preconceptions. Well, anyway, uh Richard III <laughs> is a play written by uh of course the only playwright who ever existed and there's none other uh William Shakespeare good old billy shakes so so andy so so you told so that's what richard the 3rd is who who is richard the 3rd okay i i watched 1995's richard the 3rd uh, richard the 3rd in this one is played by ian mckellen who is doing his best best role as a villain because Richard III is one of these interesting characters who is self-aware and realizes that he is a villain who knows at the beginning he's doing some villainous stuff and because of that he's actually really beloved in like literature and I've never really I've always been fascinated with him as a character I knew his general arc I've never read the play I've never watched any of the movies yeah, yeah, yeah. So I watched 1995's Richard III. Okay, so why is Richard III? Um, Richard III 
why he is. He exists solely to be number one, to get all the power. Uh, is that is that what you're after, Sam? Uh, I was just doing the Gamora bit, but go ahead. Okay. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll I'll play I'll play straight now. Okay. Um, how Shakespearean is Richard the Third? Okay. Uh, well, and and he, this is this is such a fascinating take because. I always, uh, whenever I think about Shakespeare, I'm always like, oh god, I'm just, I'm just not going to be into this. It's Shakespeare. It's boring. I, I know, I know all the stuff. These are old stories. And as soon as they talk that Elizabethan English, it sounds like a different language to me, and I hate it. And iambic pentameter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds. You're weird. an iambic pentameter. <laughs> it, it, it's, it sounds weird. And for me, uh, it takes about one minute into any Shakespeare play for me to go from completely uninterested to, oh, I, I have to keep, this is great. This is wonderful. I love this. Now, is Richard III, um, is that one the, the winner of discontent or is that we few, we happy few? Yeah, no, no, that is the winter of discontent. Gotcha. And of course, the, the famous, famous line, of course, of course, my kingdom, my kingdom for a horse. Anyway, uh, this this version though is really interesting. It's one of the versions where they don't. It does not take place in the 1400s England where Richard III actually was king. This this takes place almost as like a prequel to V for Vendetta, right? It's 1930s England, and Richard III is clearly a fascist, hungry, power hungry uh, wannabe dictator. He wants to conquer England and become is he physically disabled like he is in the play and, and in real life okay so you guys have not seen this no uh, I, I've seen a good portion of it but it was many many years ago yeah yeah so uh, one I have to tell you this is one of the hardest films I've ever like tried to find it, it can only be watched if you rent it from voodoo that's right voodoo you know the famous the famous streaming service Voodoo, owned by Walmart. You have to rent it from Voodoo. It's $4, and it is very worth it. And to answer your question, Tessa, uh, yes, yes. Ian McKellen, the character of Richard, is uh, his hand is malformed, and he claims, in, he claims that it's the witchcraft of the queen that did this to him. And he has a, a bit of a, a limp, but he always walks around with his with his left arm in his pocket he does not move it around he he's very clearly trying to to hide it but but th this film uses 100% just uses the shakespearean language and it's this great conjunction of it's shakespeare you're seeing it in the modern setting it's almost like uh, joss whedon's much ado in that in that respect or Boz lerman's romeo juliet yeah yeah i you know, I don't really remember much about Boz Lerman's. I just remembered that yeah. it's with a gun, and it's Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, so, you know, what's interesting about that is that, that this was a whole trend, you know. Um, so in the, in the mid-90s, which is where you get Richard III and Romeo and Juliet, that was, that was, they're clearly two very different movies with different aesthetics. But the idea in the mid-90s was to really play Shakespeare in a, in a, uh, to play it slant, you know, keep the original language, but put it out of its time or give it that, that kind of, I call it like an aquamarine aesthetic in Romeo and Juliet. It's weird. 
Um, and then, of course, once we get to the late 90s, it's adaptations. Right. You know, She's All That, Ten Things, uh, Oh, uh, all those kinds of things. But in the mid-90s, this was very in vogue. It was pretty cool. I don't yeah. know what the heck y'all were doing in the 90s. Like, if I had one cultural blind spot, it's the 90s because I don't know what y'all were trying to do back then. The 90, <laughs> the 90s was weird, man. It was weird. I was there... I I I was present for a little bit of it, but I didn't come to you know being born in 1990. Uh, I I wasn't cognizant until a little bit later. What's cool about this version of Richard the Third, and and what I I think is how is how this film handles one of the big theatrical things, which is soliloquies. And soliloquies are the the asides straight to the audience. And with this film. You see uh, Richard III, there's been a civil war. His brother, Edward, has just taken the throne, and he gives his speech at the beginning. The, now is our winter of discontent, made some glorious summer by this son of York, which I realize like now is a pun, and, and, that, and that's great. But as he's talking, the, the film zooms in on his mouth and cuts to him in the bathroom where his tone has completely changed as he's continuing this speech. He's like muttering to himself and he goes to the wind, to the, the mirror. And as he's like talking, he stops and looks at the mirror and you realize like, Oh, he sees something and he turns and faces the camera and gives like this little wag of his finger. And he keeps doing this as he it's, it's clear. He is so happy to have someone that he can tell his his devious plans to. He is so happy to like show how smart he is. This is like uh, he gives a very little finger esque performance where he's just a cackling mustache twirling villain while he's telling other people like I'm so sorry for for your loss. Or he says early on, you know, he's like I'm going to marry this woman even though I killed her husband and his father. And he says it to the camera with this cackling glee but then he says it to her with this su- with such a sorrow in his voice and it's it's this wonderful juxtaposition it is difficult to find like either buy a dvd rent a physical copy if you still have a blockbuster around you or uh just go to voodoo.com that's v-u-d-u.com and give walmart 3.99 uh and, and rent it this is a great watch this is captivating it's wonderful Quick question, Andy, have you seen Othello or read Othello? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Well, I was going to ask you if you thought Richard III or Iago was a better villain, um, because Iago has the same, like, Iago is such a, an interesting villain, too, because he has that same um, self-awareness of, of himself as a villain, but also he doesn't actually do anything in the play. He gets everyone else to do bad things to each other in the play. Yeah. Um, and Richard so gets I, his hands dirty yeah. sometimes, but it, not, not a lot. Yeah. You know, and the really interesting thing about Richard III, you know, we talk about him as a villain. Uh, Richard III was a was a real dude you know this is one of his history plays this is you know you you think about somebody like iago who he you know well he and others made up but you know richard the third is somebody who who did things and he's ascribing motivations to it and you know if you buy those motivations that's that's pretty cool but but colby i'll tell you one other thing about how weird the 90s were so that was 95 the next year kenneth branagh 
releases his adaptation of Hamlet that is over four hours. There are no <laughs> cuts. Bill Murray's in it. I I, I need to... T- I, uh, the 90s were weird, man. I, I've seen Kenneth Braun as much ado about nothing. I have not seen Hamlet. The four-hour Hamlet. It's, I mean, it's good. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, but it is what it is. And and just to, just to go ahead and, and, and reiterate here, uh, this film is only 104 minutes. So I can't do a under 100 article on it, but it is it is short and fast and so much fun. I, I cannot explain how much fun this is. As you see, basically the what I what I would think of like one of the earliest antiheroes or just he is the protagonist. He's not a hero. He's in no way a hero, but he is the protagonist just causing chaos and doing whatever he can to win to to get the crown. Y'all are so lucky I talked myself out of an Aladdin joke about 90 seconds ago. I wish you had. <laughs> I really wish it, you had. It was coming down the pipe. <laughs> it, never, <laughs> it never quite got out. <laughs> Much like the Jafar. Oh, oh. yeah. Iago. Hey. Iago. So, <laughs> so, Andy, next week, I mean, of course, you don't know this, but next week, I will be discussing an adaptation of Henry the. Po- I will be discussing an adaptation of Henry the Fourth, Part One and Two, as well as Henry the Fifth. Which means, after next week, we will be one Shakespeare adaptation away from becoming a Shakespeare adaptation podcast. <laughs> so just let's all consider our choices very carefully. Now right, we don't we don't want to be one of those podcasts. Henry the Fifth. That's that's we few we we happy few we band of brothers. Yes. yes. There we go. But I will not be discussing a Kenneth Branagh adaptation of Henry V. No, sir. All right. Uh, well, I I think, is is that it? Do you guys have any other comments? <laughs> um, hmm. Have we done enough damage? I I mean, do we need to talk about mixtapes, the weirdness of the 90s, Shakespeare, animation, Netflix, do you? Do you I mean, like, what, what else? What else is left? That is all For- the things. That is yeah. absolutely all the things. So tune in next week. Sam falls asleep on a road in Idaho. Tessa gets in touch with her demon in the golden compass. And I figure something out because life is chaos uh, and chaos is a ladder. And that ladder won't let me figure out what I'm going to watch. Uh, but where can you find us? Well, past Andy, since you screwed up the editing process and deleted those parts, you can find Colby on Twitter at Writing by Colby. You can also find him on the Martha and Colby Grow Up podcast and the Four Nations Report podcast. You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine and on Letterboxd at Archie Leach nine. You can find Tessa on tw- Twitter and Letterboxd at Swela Tessa spelt S W E H O A. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Hebrews Pale Ale. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we've talked about today, the monkeys you've crossed off your own list, the monkeys that you'd like to hear us talk about in future episodes. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Monkey Backlog, and of course, on the Pop Cultures website, popcultureshub.com. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found at scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to our podcasts, and also go ahead and watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre and let us know what you think about that as we prepare for Heist Week. 
Get that monkey off your back. 